You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. When Sex and the City came out, the question was, can a woman have sex like a man? And when the show went to England, it was a huge debate. I mean, they had news shows with people debating this for half an hour, and they went on and on and on and on about it. Author Candace Bushnell, today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Well, 25 years ago this week, a new series premiered on HBO. It was a series based on newspaper columns written by a journalist named Candace Bushnell. She called it Sex and the City. Now, Candace Bushnell's lifelong ambition had been to be a successful novelist. When I met her in 2003, she had in fact just published her first novel. It was a book called Trading Up. And its main character was a young woman not unlike those that we met in Sex and the City. And just like Sex and the City, the characters in Trading Up all had to face difficult life questions. So here now, from 2003, Candace Bushnell. I couldn't help wondering, I, I, you know, as I was preparing for the interview, I read a review that re- referred to this being your first novel. It technically is my first novel. Sex and the City was, because it was published in a newspaper column, and I wanted it to be fiction, they wanted it to be journalism, <laughs> and we came to a quiet, happy understanding <laughs> that... It was supposedly journalism, but mm-hmm. a lot of it was actually fiction, or it was really fiction written as journalism, em- I would embellished say. Embellished nonfiction. And, 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 but also, there were journalistic aspects to it, where I really did go out and interview some people, and I did go out every night with a notebook, and I would go out and hear a sentence and basically turn that into a short story. Some of it was completely fiction, like the part when the girls go to... The baby shower in Connecticut. <laughs> Completely fiction. But my editor was, you know, and they said, well, what did you do this week? And I, I went to a baby shower in Connecticut. Of course, I probably went to the Hamptons or something and, you know, drank a lot. And Monday morning came around and I was like, what am I going to write about? Okay, they're going to a baby shower. I've been to Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut. so. <laughs> but, but and then I'm... Four Blunts was four novellas. And that was completely, you know, fiction, but it was four novellas. So technically it is my first novel. Wow. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> and it turned out to be a long one, too. I was going to say, now, now we've met Janie before, haven't we? Yes, in Four Blondes. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't really get her full due in that because she only got one-fourth of the billing there. Well, she got one-fourth of the billing. <laughs> the thing about Janie is at the end of that story, I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to get rid of her. And I was going to make her just become really hardened and really, really desperate. And she has no choice but to become mm. basically a call girl, a high-priced call girl. But then when I got to the end, I was like, no, I actually like her too much to do that. I'll give her one more chance. So she ends up being a lingerie model, which actually makes sense um, because when I wrote it at the time, that was when there was this idea, we're going to use older women, meaning someone who's 30 (laughs) as opposed to 16. Um, And then actually in this book, at at the end of the first draft, I really kind of had her being crazy on the plane. I mean, you could tell that she'd flipped her lid and she was absolutely insane, which if you read the book, you'll understand why someone mm-hmm. really might go insane. 
But then my publisher kind of said, you know, she's been through so much. I really don't think we need to make her crazy. <laughs> and and I think that was good advice. And I, so I think it has a much better ending now where she actually manages to beat everyone and all these men at their own game. But poor Janie. I mean, she just wants what all of us want, doesn't she? She values true love above everything. And to me, it's it's humorous and it's ironic because – that is the thing that we're all told to value more than mm-hmm. anything is is true love and finding true love. And, I, I, you know, I, women are so tempted to put that above everything that sometimes I, I think that we put that a little, you know, we worship that a little bit too much. And, you know, maybe we should just be working a little bit harder at our jobs, not worrying so much about mm. finding this true love. And and that is a bit the, the case with Janie. But Janie feels that she just deserves True love, as everybody feels that they just deserve mm-hmm. true love. But I, I, I think that we kind of have to earn it in a way. And work for it? And work for it a bit, I think, by working on ourselves and becoming the most complete person we can be. And I, I do think love is really about giving. It's about what you can bring to the table as opposed to what you're going to take from the mm-hmm. table. So that's my feeling about it. Is Janie just maybe a little uncertain about what she is able to bring to the table? Janie's definitely uncertain about what she's able to bring. She knows she can bring her looks mm-hmm. and her beauty. and But she also knows that she's more than just a pretty face. Janie's problem is that her whole life she's been told that she really isn't anything other than beautiful, and she must not try to be anything else but beautiful. And it's true that when she kind of steps out and says, hey, wait, I want to do something, people just ridicule her left, right, and center. And that's one of the themes of the book. Because she's just a model. Right, exactly. But that's one of the themes of the book is that in our society, we still do put women in boxes, and we are uncomfortable if a woman has too much. (laughs) <laughs> oh, heaven forbid she should have too much. Just enough. Right. Maybe just, just a little bit, but not too much. Not too much. Just bless her heart. She's just, she's just, I, I, I see this, the struggles going on in her mind, you know, as she's trying to figure out, you know, and, and the kinds of struggles she has are not the kind of struggles most of us have in our lives. But, no, they're not. <laughs> but, but I think we all have those kinds of struggles in a different way. And in, maybe in a smaller way. I mean, Janie's a larger-than-life character, mm-hmm. and she's in a larger-than-life world where she's trying to survive. But like you, I feel like, you know, God bless her. She she <laughs> has access to this world. Part of it is wanting to belong someplace. It's You know, it's about that theme of, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to belong and wanting to be a part of something. And it's also about being ambitious and, you know, that very concept of trading up. I mean, we're all told to be the most that we can be. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's not easy to do that. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> she's a fun character. After this short break, the uproar that Sex in the City caused in one country... Back to my 2003 interview with Candace Bushnell. It sounds like you had a lot of fun writing this book. I had I had such a great time writing the book, and for me, it was really an indulgence because I did what I've wanted to do ever since I was eight years old, 
And when I was eight, I knew I wanted was going to be a novelist. And I, I had this, like, flash, someday you're going to be a famous novelist. I just didn't know that it would take nearly 40 years. <laughs> but I've worked at it very hard ever since the age of eight. Um, but, you know, back then I had that big romantic dream about being a novelist. I'll have a little house in the country and I'll go there and I'll write and I'll write for hours and this and that. <laughs> And it wasn't until I started doing this book that I was able to do that. The truth is, it wasn't until I started, you know, writing this book, which was, I think I was probably 42, that I finally really had the concentration to sit down and master, you know, a huge piece of work. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was really fun. And, and I went to my little house in the country, and I would get up at 4 in the morning the cliche, wearing the same clothes. You know, I would work for six or eight hours. And then after that, I would watch the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> I got to replenish that well of creativity somehow. And, and, you know, I did actually spend time trying to figure out what is the meaning of the Jerry Springer show. And I think I figured it out and I put it into the book. Um, you know, one of the, the big, uh, the CEO of the big me media company, Splash Werner, gives Selden Rose, who ends up being Janie's husband, a big mm -hmm. lecture. He's known for giving all of his employees a lecture about mm -hmm. the Jerry Springer show and what it means. <laughs> so I was actually quite proud of that insight. I don't know if it's exactly right, but I was fascinated by it. Are, are, are you able to give that away, or is that something we need to read when, when we get there? Oh, I think it's, it might be sort of fun to get there. It's just a little scene <laughs> when um, yeah, he's basically Selden is, is told that he has a choice between his job and his wife, but that might be giving away too much. Mm. Well, you, you, and I told this, these huge business guys in New York who work for a media company who are hugely successful. And I said, oh, there's a scene in the book. There were about two of them. They said, that answer is easy. Your job. You always pick your job over your wife. <laughs> I was like, here it is in the living flesh. Oh, I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> Well, and see, that occurred to me. That occurred to me. When you read a novel that is fiction, that you made this stuff up, but then I realized, no, you are a chronicler, a well-known and very successful chronicler of real-life things, and you begin to wonder, I, where I mean, do the line blurs kind of, I mean, just because certainly you made these people up, right? but certainly the world in which they live in is a very real kind of world. And so there's, there, it's fun to try to figure out, well, did she make this up? Or, or was this based on fact? Or is this really somebody that she, whose name she just cleverly changed? If that's what's fun about a book like this. Well, you know what? I really made all of it up, but it's, it is all things that could happen. I don't think there's anything in the book that actually has happened, you know, to my knowledge, to, you know, whomever. But these are the kinds of things that could happen. And mm -hmm. I really like that kind of fiction that is realistic. You know, I love that classic fiction like Edith Wharton and Balzac and Trollope uh, and Guy de Maupassant where you feel like – and they're all society novels. They're always in big cities. Mm -hmm. You know, Vanity Fair. Mm -hmm. uh, and you feel like this really is the way it was back then. And, and you feel like it's real. I love those kinds of books. But it's real but made just a touch more dramatic for well, plot and stuff. Yeah, that really helps sum up something that I've wondered about myself for a long time is why I like chick flicks. I mean, you know, just when I was a, when I was a kid, I liked science fiction. But I've, I've, right. I've outgrown that now because it's not real. I can't identify with that. But When Harry Met Sally, 
I can identify with that. That's real. I mean, that the thing, the power of of a movie like Harry Met, when Harry Met Sally is it's real and it also captures the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, when that came out, what that was the big question of the day: Can a man and a woman be friends? Mm-hmm. And that explored that. And for se- when Sex in the City came out, the question was, can a woman have sex with sex like a man? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that was in the first episode of Sex in the City. And when the show went to England, it was a huge debate. I mean, they had news shows <laughs> with people debating this for half an hour. You know, yes, a woman can have sex like a man. No, she can't. She'll go insane if she, insane if she does. And they went on and on and on and on about it. And so they... <laughs> They got really wrapped up. But see, that is your forte, is is zeroing in. I mean, every one of the episodes of the show, you know, inspired by your work, has the question that you have to ask yourself. Exactly. And, and there are questions, maybe not posed as questions, but questions throughout this novel, too, aren't there? Yeah, I think so. I think there are. And, you know, one of the questions is, is Janie, you know, a trollop or a feminist? And can a woman be both? Well, yeah. <laughs> Probably, yeah. it is the oldest profession. <laughs> well, yeah, when when you when you take something of value for what she is returning, where, where is the line between exactly. street hooker and high priced hooker and just feminist employing her wily ways? You know, just I mean, well, you know, the other thing that's interesting to me about the book is there is always this. Um, you know, the question is the question of morality and, you know, what the characters are willing to do to get ahead. Janie is, I think, a bit extreme. But, you know, the fact of the matter is if I, you know, if you, this has happened to me so many times where I've been in, in a room with, you know, five or six women. And, you know, one of the women will say, yeah, I've been dating this guy for two years. I want to get married and I want to have kids, but he won't budge. What should I do? There's always one woman who says, just go ahead and get pregnant. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, these are the kinds of questions that we as women deal with all the time. But I think you understand so you know, very is it well. Is like your personal happiness? Yeah. Is it right? Is it, you know, it's like, but then it's the baby, you know. Mm-hmm. These are the questions women deal, you know, deal with. But it's better to ask, to ask the questions than to try to answer the questions, isn't it? Probably, yes. Because there are no answers. Mm-hmm. There really are no answers, and none of these things are black and white. And I think, you know, we as human beings like to think that these kinds of questions, there's a black and white answer. But there really isn't. There's only a personal mm-hmm. answer. Because, of course, you know, everyone's, everyone is responsible for themselves. Candace Bushnell is 64 now and lives in New York. And you can get your copy of Trading Up by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, HeardEverything.com. And HeardEverything.com is where you'll also find my 1987 interview with another well-known author whose book was turned into a successful motion picture, the author of The Thornbirds, Colleen McCulloch. When I wrote Thornbirds, I didn't realize it was going to go the way it did. Once it became an absolutely phenomenal bestseller, I said to myself, don't ever try to top it. People are always going to be disappointed that they're not going to get another Thornbirds. And my 1994 conversation with the author of a book on how to make your man behave, 
by using the secrets of dog trainers. Karen Salmonson. I believe that these training tips work because um, dog and man do share so much in common, that the dog training tips work because it's really keying in on that. In fact, I think that dog is man's best friend for very deep psychological reasons. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on every major podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, as part of our commemoration of Pride Month, my 1993 conversation with former FBI agent whose courage, after he was outed, helped end all the homophobic discrimination, not only at the FBI, but throughout the federal government. My 1993 conversation with Frank Bettino. No one in the FBI knew I was gay. Uh, it was uh, people I worked with for, for 20 years later on when they found out were totally shocked. Uh, just a, a regular agent like everyone else. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.